course, family is some of the most important relationships that we'll ever have in our whole lives. But mishaps happen, feelings bubble up, and we get overwhelmed, and really important conversations can get f***ed up really easily. So I'm gonna go ahead and go through and give you a few tips that can really make sure that these conversations go a lot smoother. And the first one is laying out proper parameters about how the conversation is going to go. And what I mean by that is making sure that we have good boundaries. To me personally, I really think that 90% of bad communication is actually just bad boundaries. When we don't have clear delineation between one person and the next, what easily happens is there's a misconstrual and a confusion regarding who's is what, who's owning what, and it leads to a lot of conflict, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of hurt emotions, and sometimes we can have conversations for hours for fucking no reason. I think that is one of the most frustrating things. Instead, what I propose is making sure that we have a good clarity of what boundaries actually are and look like. Proper boundaries actually just mean that we are responsible for our own emotions and needs, regardless of the style of relationship. It doesn't matter if we've been with somebody for five or 10 years, whether it's extended family who's known us our whole lives, children that we've raised, spouses that we live with who have been together for decades or years. As a matter of fact, the longer that we're with people and the longer the relationship is, the more likely we are to have these relationship boundaries blurred. We have to recognize that while others may impact how we feel, the reality is that those emotions are coming up because of needs that are going unmet within ourselves. And because those needs are our own, the emotions have to be our own as well. A really good example that I've heard is, let's say you're having a meeting with somebody and you agree to meet up for coffee and that person's 30 minutes late. And of course, we can have these emotions of feeling angry and frustrated because we're busy and we've made time and this person's not valuing our time. So of course, we're fucking pissed about this person blowing us up and not communicating. At the same time, we might devalue this person and them being late shows a level of disregard and we might feel insignificant to them, which makes us feel sadness. Whereas if we're actually busy and needing a breather and needing time to ourselves, that person being late actually gives us room to breathe, which actually becomes rewarding in a way. So even though that person's actions are the same, the needs and emotions that arise within us are different. And because of that, we can't expect somebody to automatically interpret and know what we feel and make amends for it. It's our job to communicate and own our emotions and let the other person know what's happening inside us. And this is actually really freeing. Because we're owning our own emotions, we actually expect other people to do the same. And that means not only are other people not responsible for us, but that means we're not responsible for other people either. I missed the part where that's my problem. There's a huge chasm of difference between being responsible for and being responsible to. We can be responsible to the relationships that we've chosen to commit to, but we're not responsible for the emotions and for the experience that other people have. Those needs still rely within those individuals. But we can't have clear, healthy boundaries if we actually don't know where we end and somebody else begins. This is why it's really important to have a clear sense of ourselves in the midst of hard and difficult conversations. So many times when we are in the midst of conflict and when things are getting heated, it's so much easier to recognize and be able to describe the actions that were wrong that somebody else did. Oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. It's so much easier to gossip and talk shit than it is to actually be open and vulnerable. Talking about somebody else's actions and behaviors doesn't actually make our feelings and experiences more clear. Instead, having greater clarity about ourselves, about our experiences and where we're coming from, that we can communicate to somebody else helps 
put ourselves in the best position to have that person not only understand, but then respond to us in a way that makes us feel safe and makes us feel that we are in a good relationship and have a good connection with somebody who respects and values us. However, I know that identifying emotions is a skill. A few quick tips that can help you get better at increasing the skill is one, maybe just writing them down. Sitting down and writing about what it is that you're feeling and experiencing can help make your emotions a bit more tactile, a bit more descriptive, and help you observe what it is that you're feeling and experiencing. Another good trick is meditating. I found that mindfulness meditation is a really good experience to help me sit with emotion. Observing that emotion in a way where we don't identify with it and we don't actually need to judge it as good or bad. The goal is really just to see what that emotion is trying to tell us that can help us create solutions. Another tool is what's called the feeling wheel. The feeling wheel is really just a diagram that shows the most simple, basic emotions in the center that we are all familiar with. But the further you go out, the more detailed and nuanced those emotions get. And that can really help specify and create greater clarity about what we're experiencing. However, even when we're trying to express emotions, it's really difficult to do so in a constructive way. That's why I want to talk about an unlock phrase, healthily and constructively talk about our emotions and our experiences. Healthy and constructive vulnerability can be broken down into four different variables. The first one is observations, the second one is our emotions, third one is needs, and the fourth one is our requests. And observations, we want to try to make them as objective and as least accusatory as possible. Are you black midget bitch? <laughs> because we don't want to come off as an asshole and, and seep our evaluations or our judgments into what happened. Listen, I really feel like you're an asshole. So we don't want to say, hey, you're a fucking slob and you left dishes out. It's simply leaving out the judgment part and saying, there was dishes on the counter. And then when you have that objective experience, you can tie that actually into an emotion. What is it about that situation that impacted you? Yeah, uh, what's your motherfucking problem, man? Or how did it impact you? And of course, there's the basics of it made me sad, angry, or frustrated, but then there's also, well, it made me feel rejected, or it made me feel insignificant, or it made me feel dismissed. And then the other part of that vulnerability is tying in that observation and that emotion with a specific need. When we have an emotional experience that we're trying to communicate, what's really important is tying that emotion to a need because it helps solidify what is it that we're actually looking for. I need, I need. <sighs> what do you need? So many times that's actually not said and it's very unclear, which can cause a lot of confusion and creates lots of room for frustration and misunderstanding. So having a need to feel respected, to feel valued, to feel safe, to feel strong. Those are all needs within us as people that we feel and experience and that we want to experience from the people around us, especially when it comes to a family context. So putting this together, you can say something along the lines of, well, when the dishes were left in the sink, I felt really sad. I had a lot going on today and I didn't feel that my time was valued relative to your own. And then that brings us to the final point of actually making a request. Requests are really important because it actually helps build protective mechanisms that are placed over needs that allow for relationships to be strengthened by teaching others how to actually treat us. So many times in communication though, we tend to jump over the emotions and the needs. We go straight to what happened or what we think happened and jump right into requests. We start demanding things and being overly assertive and aggressive, saying this is the way it needs to be done. And then of course, that's gonna to lead to conflict. As cheesy as it is, it's really true that no one really cares what you know until they know that you care. 
And this is because we have mechanisms within our mind and bodies that let us know that we need to feel safe first and foremost. It doesn't matter what you're offering if you're gonna be a threat to us and to our well-being. When it comes to relationships, how you process conflict is just as important as the resolution of it. The medium and the method that you use to resolve conflict is just as important as how you choose to end it. This is why you actually can be right in a conversation but be wrong relationally because relationships are a means to an end. You're not working your way in this conflict simply for the sake of having a result. The whole point of a relationship is to enjoy the person that you're with. Enjoy the people that you surround yourself with or that are just naturally around you, whether it's your parents or kids. Building a relationship that you feel loved in. And this is why strategies and requests and changes of behavior actually come after the emotion. We want to feel valued, we want to feel protected, we want to feel safe in relationships. We need to respond to the emotions and the needs of the conflict first and foremost. This is because when we're trying to make requests and have somebody change their behavior, trying to do that before the other person feels empathized with, a lot of times feels like criticism or belittling or being dismissive. We don't want somebody just to fix our problems. We don't want somebody who's just going to rush in and try to fix the problem that they think we have without seeing us, without actually saying and recognizing that they value us and our experiences. And when we're trying to communicate through a conversation, there's a huge difference between communicating a need and communicating a strategy, although they become very confusing. But the differentiating factor is who you're talking about because needs are about us. Again, they arise from our own emotions, but strategies and requests, those are about other people. Those are the external forces that we're trying to have changed. So if you're working through this framework of how to communicate your emotions and needs, and you say the words, I feel, followed by I, you, he, she, they, it, as if, like, what you're about to say probably isn't going to be a need. Most likely about to describe is going to be your perception of something external and that does nothing to tell the person you're talking to about what you are experiencing, about what you're feeling and about how you perceive the situation. Again, awareness of other people's wrongs and what we think is their wrongdoings doesn't help others identify with how we think and feel that helps them respond in a constructive way. We need to be able to communicate and openly express and illustrate what it is that we are experiencing ourselves. But this obviously isn't to say that after we show empathy that we can't make good constructive requests. And that's the important point that I want to bring up next is that it's really, really common to make bad requests. And what that tends to look like is making demands, saying this is what you should do, this is what you need to do, how the fuck could you do this, why didn't you do this? Who the fuck you think you talking to? And a lot of times what we tend to describe as negative behavior. We tend to say that we want a negative. You can't do this, don't do this. When it comes to negative requests of can'ts and don'ts, it's really confusing and it makes responding extremely difficult. So when we're communicating what we want from somebody else, it's really important to use positive and constructive language. It's very difficult to try to do a don't. When somebody says, I need you not to leave your dishes out, well, that's great, but does not leaving your dishes out mean not putting them on the counter? Does it mean not putting them on the sink? Does it mean making sure that they're in the cupboard? It's hard to describe and clarify what that actually means and what that person's really looking for. Something along the lines of, I need to listen to me, is lacking a level of clarity and nuance and something able to identify. Optimal good requests are something that could be objectively measured, something that you could look through a video camera and see and tell, did this person do it or did they not do it? What can be observed without any sort of bias or subjective perception? Instead, saying something like, 
when I'm telling you about my emotions and needs, I want you to reflect back to me what I said because I need to know that you understand. That is so much different and so much more clear and so much more objectively measured than saying, hey, I need you to listen to me. And then it's also really important to differentiate between requests and demands. And what defines those differences is the person who's responding's ability to say no. When somebody makes a request, does the other person have the ability to say no and use their freedom of choice to reject that request. If somebody doesn't have the ability to freely choose to give or freely choose to participate in a relationship, we wouldn't say it's healthy and constructive. Instead, we would say it's domineering, controlling, and manipulative. However, when somebody says no to a request, it doesn't mean that you can't actually continue the conversation and continue negotiating. However, there's a big difference between pressuring somebody and coercing somebody into saying yes compared to actually having an empathetic conversation about that request. It really just means that before the person who asked the request ask again the person who made the request should empathize with the no and understand why that no was given and what's blocking the person that they care about from meeting their need before choosing to ask again when somebody is given a no it's important to allow them or even direct them to give them space to empathize with why you're saying no before allowing them to ask again empathy towards someone's no helps build connection and protect the relationship overall and this empathy is important because because it helps make sure that no's are interpreted as rejections. Because if our no's are interpreted as rejections, then we feel compelled or even obligated to do what's being asked of us. So if you're somebody who might struggle with low self-esteem and feel more dejected or rejected when somebody gives you a no, you have to realize that what you're inadvertently doing is making your request a demand. You're punishing the person you're speaking to by asking and making that request, but then manipulating their behavior with your own sense of worthlessness. And then at the same time, making sure that we are clearly articulating requests actually helps us identify illegitimate ones. It's not uncommon for a parent to have this trope of, I want my kids to fucking respect me. When my name come up, respect it. Y'all saying my name, put some respect on But at the same time, if we dig into that and say like, well, what does that actually mean? What is the request that you're making? Sometimes upon questioning that, request for respect can actually mean obedience but having unfiltered obedience from a parent actually isn't healthy it's healthy for children and teenagers or whoever to actually have barriers and levels that protect us from blindly following other people and there's so many other instances where when somebody makes a request that we can clarify what that person's asking is really what they're wanting and then we can actually decipher and understand in greater detail is that a healthy request or is that a maladaptive one this isn't to say that all of these communication tricks and tips are only used in the negative context on the contrary it can be really helpful to use these tips and hacks in the positive and this means expressing more intimate and vulnerable communication in an appreciative manner so when we're expressing appreciation and gratitude you can use the same framework of what we saw the feeling that it arose and the need that it filled to show a really intimate and vulnerable level of gratitude for what it is that that person did for us a lot of times appreciation tends to be vague and even somewhat meaningless because we just say that was nice or that feels good. But it's a lot different and a lot more meaningful to say, hey, when you wash the dishes for me, it made me feel really loved and cared for because I was really busy today and I felt pretty overwhelmed and I needed some space. I really appreciate you giving that to me. That is way more meaningful and is a way more 
appreciative expression of gratitude than simply, hey, thanks for doing that. I hope these tips really help you. If you have any questions, please let me know. I'd love to chat more in the comments. I know communication isn't always easy. Me and my wife almost got divorced. And if you wanna hear our story of how we came out of it, definitely feel free to click on this video right here.